At the very beginning of time, God gave humanity three special gifts crafted in perfection. The gift of nature, the gift of relationships, and the gift of time. Since then, a bitter war has been fought to destroy all three. Tonight, we will discover which one Satan is fighting the hardest to eradicate. Stay tuned. It's a discovery that will surprise you. Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the End of Time series. We are on our home stretch now. Literally, tonight's the second last night of this epic series, and we're so glad that you are joining us yet again. Whether you're joining us on Facebook, YouTube, our website, or radio, we're really happy that you're here. As the presentation continues tonight, we want to remind you to send in your comments or questions. If, if as you're listening to Lyle's presentation, a burning Bible question comes to mind, don't hold back. Type it in the comments because we're going to have opportunity to put questions to Lyle later in this program. And of course, I've been talking to some of you and you're saying, I wish we could watch this again because there's so much and it just happens so quickly in these presentations. Great news. All the presentations are going to stay on our website, so you're not going to miss a thing. Let's listen now as Lyle presents on the end at the end of this week. All prophets will arise and deceive many. Nation will rise against nation. There will be droughts, pandemics, and earthquakes. When these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption is near. Lockdowns. Working from home, home deliveries and online retailing has created an always-on culture and the world of work is changing fast and massively. For many, it was nice to be able to work from home until work invaded the last place where you could find serenity and the opportunity to switch off. Boundaries between employment and leisure have simply dissolved, negatively affecting many workers. Overwork is now more than ever literally killing people. So a UK faith-based think tank called Theos has come up with a key proposal aimed at helping modern day workers survive and thrive despite the current changes and the major challenges that are coming down the track. It suggests recovering the Sabbath. They state, the biblical idea of Sabbath is an ancient answer to modern anxieties. It's time to rediscover it. Work is changing rapidly. Churches have a somewhat forgotten heritage of addressing these questions and a strong intellectual framework from which they can think through many of the emerging issues. The pandemic, horrendous crisis though it is, represents a rare opportunity for societies to think about what they value highly. It shouldn't amaze us. But it so often does that in an era when ancient cultures used the most bizarre treatments, the Bible's prescriptions for physical, mental and spiritual health remain without fault and are still in practice. For example, think about the ancient Egyptians. They used crocodile dung for contraception. The Egyptians and Greeks all, all practiced bloodletting. And if you had a migraine, they would drill a hole in your head to let the pain out while giving you urine to drink. Many of the most bizarre practices were not even phased out into the last one to 200 years. But while all those and thousands more ludicrous practices were being promoted, the Bible was teaching things like hand washing, quarantine and lockdowns, and that was three and a half thousand years ago. 
But the Bible didn't just provide for physical health. A day of rest was decreed every seventh day to provide for mental, physical and spiritual health. And moreover, that special day was created as a gift for humanity in a perfect world before sin even entered our planet. The Bible says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in he rested from all his work which God had created and made. That's Genesis 2, 1-3. The word sanctified simply means set apart for a holy use. This was a gift given to humanity to be used by all as a day of rest and worship. The Bible says that Adam and Eve were set to work in the garden and that every Sabbath would be a day of rest for them. Then, having bequeathed this special gift to mankind, God placed it at the very center of his law. Remember what we studied last night? God has drawn a bullseye on our world to direct us to what he sees as most important. In our world, we have the Holy Land. In the Holy Land, we have the Holy City. In the Holy City, we have the Holy Mountain. On the Holy Mountain, we have the Holy Temple. Then within the Holy Temple, there's the courtyard followed by the Holy Place, followed by the Most Holy Place. Then the centerpiece of the Most Holy Place is the Holy Ark of God. And within that Ark is enshrined a treasure truly older than time itself, the Holy Law of God. And at the center, of the holy law of God, we find the holy Sabbath day of rest. For thousands of years, God's people kept the Sabbath. At Mount Sinai, God reminded them of this blessing when he said, remember the Sabbath. Then he continued with more detail. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but on the Sabbath you shall rest. To be honest, I was brought up with a great work ethic by my father and I feel guilty taking time off just to rest. If it wasn't for the Sabbath, the blessing of the Sabbath, I probably never would. It's fantastic to have that day off each week and not be plagued by thoughts of all the things that I need to get done. Three and a half thousand years after the law was repeated on Mount Sinai, Jesus came to this earth and set a great example of worshipping God every Sabbath day. The record states, He came to Nazareth and as his custom or his habit was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Even in his death, Jesus set an example as he rested in the grave on the Sabbath. The Bible says that day, the day he died, was the preparation and the Sabbath drew near. And the women returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils and rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other with them came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. And so we find the Sabbath sandwiched between what we call Good Friday and Easter Sunday. For some of you, that may come as a surprise. After all, don't most people worship on Sunday instead? When did the change from Saturday to Sunday come about and who changed it? We need to find out. But We also find the Sabbath continued to be honoured by the disciples after the ascension of Jesus and recognised by the Gentiles and pagans of the time as the day of worship for all Christians. In fact, the Bible records no other day of worship ever being given by God while referencing 86 occasions of keeping the Sabbath in just the book of Acts alone. So why did the disciples do this? 
The answer is simple. They were following the command of Jesus who specifically told them to keep the Sabbath right through to the end of time. Just before his crucifixion, Jesus had plainly stated, pray that your flight may not be on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's, day, elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Matthew 24, 20 to 22. So how did the change come about? You might be surprised to learn that it did not begin to change until the third century and that when the change began, it was very slow to take hold. In fact, in some places, parts of the world, it never truly did. And Christians still worship on Saturday right through to this very day. There were three great factors that led to the change. The first was the desire by Christians to reach out to the pagans. For the pagans, Dia Solus, or the Day of the Sun. Sunday had always been their day of worship. Some Christians recommended fasting and praying all day on Sabbath for the conversion of the pagans and then holding an evangelistic worship service on the pagan day when the pagans were all free to attend. This was always celebrated with a large fellowship meal and it's not hard to see which day grew in popularity. The second factor was political. The Jews had rebelled against Rome and thousands of Roman lives had been expended neutralizing the fortress of Jerusalem in one of the most hard-fought and bitter military campaigns in the history of the empire. The Jews were universally hated at the time and Christians were seen as people who had chosen to become Jews. The Christians responded by doing all they could to differentiate themselves from the Jews and connect themselves to the empire. This led to the third and most significant factor, which was the paganization of Christianity. As early as 200 AD, Clement of Alexandria had been promoting the, the idea that Christian teachings must be clothed with the precepts of paganism. And in the third century, it really started to gain some traction. In his book, The Paganism in Our Christianity, historian Arthur Weigel states, it was a definite Christian policy to take over the pagan festivals endeared to the people by tradition and give them a Christian significance. Centuries of Christianity, a concise history, says, the new Christians were as far as thinking and habits went, the same old pagans. Their surge into the churches did not wipe out paganism. On the contrary, Hordes of baptized pagans meant that paganism had diluted the moral energies of organized Christianity to the point of impotence. In the story of the, history of the Christian church, Lyman Holbert says, The forms and ceremonies of paganism gradually crept into the worship. Some of the old heathen feasts became church festivals with change of name and worship. Even Cardinal John Henry Newman himself stated, the use of temples and candles, holy water, holy days and seasons, all, all are of pagan origin and sanctified by their adoption to the church. Arthur Weigel again. The church made a sacred day of Sunday largely because it was a weekly festival of the sun, for it was a definite Christian policy to take over the pagan festivals endeared to the people by tradition and to give them a Christian significance. In fact, until recent times, Christian scholars have been vehement about the fact 
that it was the church and not God or the Bible that changed the day of worship. The Vatican loudly proclaims that. The Pope has the power to change times, to abrogate laws and to dispense with all things, even the precepts of Christ. He can pronounce sentences and judgments in contradiction to the rights of nations, to the law of God and man. And boldly acting on that claim, they repeatedly state things such as the Catholic Church for over a thousand years before the existence of a Protestant, by virtue of her divine mission, changed the day from Saturday to Sunday. That's from the Catholic Mirror. Then again, Cardinal James Gibbons in his book, Faith of Our Fathers, he says, Is not every Christian obliged to sanctify Sunday and to abstain on that day from unnecessary servile work? Is not the observance of this law among the most prominent of our sacred duties? But you may read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and you will not find a single line authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. The scriptures enforce the religious observance of Saturday, a day which we never sanctify. He continues, of course the Catholic change claims that the change was her act. It could not have been otherwise as none in those days would have dreamed of doing anything in matters spiritual and religious without her and the act is a mark of her ecclesiastical power and authority in religious matters. Now the problem for me as a Christian is that I don't recognize any authority higher than God and his instructions in the Bible. I don't believe that any human being has the power or right to change God's law. Satan tried to do that and he got thrown out of heaven for it. Why should we think we have a better chance than the devil himself? It took many centuries for Sunday to really replace the Sabbath as the dominant day of worship. But by the 16th century, the Catholic Church finally reached dominance. And then along came the Reformation. Martin Luther stood for the Bible alone. And half of Europe broke away from the church, founding the Protestant movement. However, the concept of the Bible alone did not go unchallenged by the church. The greatest apologist of his day confronted this idea. A man by the name of Dr. Johann Eck. Eck met with the Protestants at Leipzig, where he disputed with them for 17 long days. Finally, after failing in all of his arguments, Eck found a clincher that the Protestants could not answer. He said, Finally, the power of the church over the scriptures holds good from this fact, that the church resting on the fullness of power granted to it has made changes with certain precepts of the scriptures. For, notwithstanding the Sabbath commandment, Sunday has taken the place of the Sabbath. Luther could give no biblical response, and with that, Eck was declared to be the winner, while Martin Luther's finest lecturer, Andreas Karlstadt, became a Sabbath keeper. The same was repeated at the Council of Trent, which lasted for 18 long years. A council called to determine if the church could defend its position that their tradition had equal value to Scripture. Finally, after debating amongst themselves for nearly two decades, they concluded that tradition stood above Scripture. The authority of the church could therefore not be bound to the authority of the Scriptures because the church had changed Sabbath into Sunday, not by command of Christ, but by its own authority. With this to be sure, the last illusion was destroyed and it was declared that tradition does not signify antiquity, but continual inspiration. That was from Canon and Tradition by Holzman. And so we find that slowly... God's precious gift to humanity was lost 
until the point that the word Sabbath no longer has any meaning at all today, either for secular people or Christians. So tonight, let's find out what the Bible has to say about this most incredible gift. I am looking forward to exploring what the Bible says about this, Lyle, because I am sure that many of our listeners have a lot of questions. Yes, indeed. And, uh, as you are listening, I just want to remind you at this point, we have a free offer connected with tonight's presentation. It's this booklet right here. It's called The Sabbath Day. And if you'd like to obtain your free copy, simply text the word Sabbath to the number on your screen. And I'll say it slower for those of you on radio, 428 Eight six. All right, Lyle. So I've got. And oh, don't forget to subscribe. Oh, yes, that's. Hit that subscribe button right there on the bottom of yes. your screen. Just give that a. Hit the give that a bell lunch. or whatever it is. That's a way that you can just use the algorithms of social media, and it will promote this even further and wider. Absolutely. All right, Lyle. I've got some questions for you. Yes. Because I'm intrigued with this subject. Okay, and, um, and, and, and rightfully so. Before you actually get into yeah. those questions, I just wanted to say, you know, the great thing about this subject right here is because, you know, I, I, I entitled it The End at the End of This Week mm-hmm. because at the end of the week, the Bible says the Sabbath comes and you've got the end of stress. We could do with that today, can't yeah. we? Are you feeling a little stressed at the I'm moment? A stressed yeah, a little bit stressed. <laughs> I think we're not the only ones who are feeling a little stressed at the moment. So it will be just wonderful to just... <sighs> to relax. I've got a day with God and with my family. Beautiful. Praise God. Well, it sounds really great, but I have a really good question because yes. wasn't the Sabbath made for the Jews? Oh, yes. So why should great I question right there. Let me grab my Bible very quickly. All right. Not quite sure why it's not here on the desk beside me, but let's pull out the Bible and let's find out. You will notice, first of all, that the Bible says the, the, the Sabbath was given to Adam. What nationality was Adam? I've never thought about that before. He was human. He was human, yes. He was made in the But he had a nationality. Tell me. He was antediluvian. You should have known this. Why didn't I know that? (laughs) (laughs) Adam was antediluvian. Jewish people, of course, didn't come for, what, another 2,500 years, something like that. That's right. And so, no, the Sabbath was made for humanity. And Jesus says that in the most uh, explicit language. Why don't you read for us? Uh, We've got a verse right there from Mark chapter 2, I believe, verse 27. Yes. The Bible says, And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Okay, and in this passage right here, what you're going to find is that the word man comes from the word mankind from which we use the word humanity today. Mm-hmm. And so it simply says the Sabbath was made for humanity. It wasn't made for Jewish people. It was made for humanity. You know, it's kind of one of those strange things because, you know, does God only want Jewish people to have a day of rest every week? I don't think so. I hope not. <laughs> and yeah, I certainly hope not. I think that he wants all of us to have a day of rest and worship every week where we can just forget, you know, all the pressures of work and the pressures of home because the pressures of home, they build up as well. It's great to be able to just sit back and spend some time with God, with your family, taking a break. All right. I've got another question for you, and then we might check to see if our audience has any questions that they would like you to address. All right. But, um, okay, so Saturday is Sabbath. That's right. According to what we just That's what it says in, well, it says it very clearly in Luke's gospel. Mm -hmm. It says Jesus died on Friday, rested in the tomb on the Sabbath day, and then rose on Sunday. We all know that. We celebrate it every year at Easter time. But isn't Sunday, the Lord's Day, 
Because after all, he rose on Sunday. Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. And this is an interesting question that I've often had people come to me and they say, well, you know, the Bible says that John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. You can read that in Revelation chapter one. Let me flick over there very quickly. That's Revelation chapter one. And right there in verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard a voice behind me like a trumpet saying, and it goes on to tell, you know, the vision that Mm -hmm. John has here in the book of Revelation. And they say, well, wasn't the Lord's day? Wasn't that the Sabbath? Wasn't that Sunday? And early on in the history of Christianity, because the Sabbath day was always Saturday, they used this term the Lord's day to refer to Sunday because that was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. However, that's not the Lord's day that you find here in the book of Revelation. The Lord's day you find here in the book of Revelation is the one you find in the Bible. And we could look at a whole bunch of verses. Why don't you go for us, uh, let me see here, Matthew 12 verse 8. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Okay, so that's very clear. The Bible says that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Mark 2 and verse 28. Therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. And right there in the center of God's law, what does the Bible say? Ezekiel 20 verse 10. Sorry, Ezekiel? Exodus 20 verse 10. Yes, the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Yes. And, and I could give you verse after verse after verse after verse after verse right through the Bible. The Bible is very, very clear that the Lord's Day is the Sabbath day. That's Saturday. Okay. It's the only day that was ever made the Lord's Day. All right. That was a good argument. <laughs> Let's check and see if anyone right, else see if has some, sent, other sent questions some curly for questions you. for you. Um, these may not be on the exact topic of our discussion, but shall we try and do Armageddon again? Because we didn't get to finish it last night. Well, we could spend a brief... It's kind of off topic. I was hoping that someone okay. would send some... there's no um, one... Okay, maybe this one... We'll just send this one in. This is from David, who is watching us on YouTube. Good to have you back, David. The curse due to transgression of the laws, and he's then got Isaiah 24, verses 5 and 6. That's all I have here. Isaiah 24. And I think he's asking, and he's sent a few through. Yes. um, Is there any equations here between Isaiah 23, the UK and the EU and Brexit, or between Isaiah 24 and the global pandemic right now? And is there a curse due to the transgression of the law? I guess what he's saying is everything that's happening due to the transgression of God's law. And he's referencing... Okay, that's a lot of references right there. And in this format, we probably don't have time to read them all. So I'm just going to make some brief comments. He's saying Isaiah 24, 5 and 6. That was his main one. Our world does live under a curse. Mm -hmm. And that curse is the result of sin. And the Bible says that sin is is the breaking of God's law. So that's the very simple, very broad answer to the origin of the curse. The curse rests on our world. Uh, That's why we have sin, pain, suffering and death. Mm -hmm. It's a result of the transgression of God's law. Now, as far as Brexit goes, uh, Brexit is probably most famously featured in Daniel chapter 2, where the Bible says these nations will not stick back together again. And when it says that, it is referring to the nations of the old Roman Empire. It says they will never, ever be reunited together again. So that's probably the best place in the Bible uh, that you're going to find a reference to Brexit. Brexit is just one of many attempts down through history to reunite those old empires back together again. All right. Okay. Here's uh, another one. This is from Barry, who's been watching us on Facebook also. And this is the last one we'll take in this segment. He asks, we should know what year the end comes, question mark. And then he's got here Hosea 6 verse 2, he thinks gives us a hint. Okay, Hosea 6 verse 2. Let's head over there to Hosea, the book of Hosea, and we will read what the Bible says here. Hosea 6 and verse 2. And by the way, 
I'm going to say this. There have been many, many people down through history who have calculated the date for the return of Jesus Christ, sometimes the actual day, sometimes just the year. But they've all had one thing in common. They were wrong. <laughs> uh, so I'm just going to preface that the answer is now what were we at? Hosea chapter 6 and verse, verse 2 verse 2 yes Bible says after two days he will revive us in the third day he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight no this is not a reference to the return of Jesus Christ in this particular passage right here if it references anything it references the three days that Jesus was in the tomb mm-hmm. um, the Bible does say in Matthew chapter 24 that the calculation for the return of Jesus Christ is not something we should be involving ourselves in. Let's go over there to Matthew chapter 24, because the reality is that when Jesus was here on earth, he didn't even know the day himself. In verse 36, but it says, But that, that of that day and hour knows no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. You see, Jesus has done, God has done this before. God has closed probation, closed the opportunity for salvation on the world once before. That was at the time of the flood. And on that occasion, he gave the date. And it was not successful. It didn't accomplish anything. Everybody waited till the last minute and passed the last minute. Second time round, he doesn't give the date. He just says, be ready all the time. And when, when Jesus says here, no one knows the day or the hour, does that include the year? That includes the year. Absolutely, it includes the year. All right, very good. Day for a year principle right there. Okay. Well, let's get back to this study because I've got a few more questions for you on the Sabbath. Okay. All All right. right. You said that the Gentiles recognized Saturday as a Sabbath day. Yes. Okay. As a day of worship for Christians. But where do you get that from? Okay. So I've got some verses here for you. Uh, Read for me Acts chapter 13. We're going to read from verse 42 to 44. Sharissa, what have you got for us there? So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Okay, so here you've got this uh, interesting situation where uh, Paul goes into the city and he, you know, he starts in the synagogue and he's worshipping there in the synagogue on the Sabbath day with the Jews. And you would say, okay, that makes sense. He's gone to where his own people are to tell them about Jesus Christ. But then watch what it says. So when the Jews went out of the synagogues, the Gentiles begged that they could hear it. And when did they want to hear the message of God? The next Sabbath. The next Sabbath. Now think about this from a Gentile perspective. The Saturday, the Sabbath for a Gentile was a day of work. Mm-hmm. For them to actually do this, that was a height of inconvenience. They had to take a day off work. Their day of rest and worship was on Sunday. But rather than saying, hey, Paul, can you preach to us about this on the next Sunday? They recognize that, yes, the day of worship for the Christian is Saturday. And so, yes, we'll take a day off of work and we will come to hear the gospel message on the Sabbath day because they recognize that was the day of worship for the Christians. Mm. Well, that makes sense. Now, as a Christian, I believe that, you know, that God created this world 6,000 years ago. But how do you know and how could anybody be sure that the Sabbath hasn't been lost? Now, this is a really interesting question, and it's often raised. The reason it's often raised is because I think that people don't actually stop and think about it in depth. Because to lose the Sabbath, and this is the beauty of the Sabbath, it's actually impossible to lose. It is logistically impossible. You cannot lose the weekly cycle. 
And so let's consider then the logistics of what it would take to lose the Sabbath day or the weekly cycle. And, 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 you know, before I go there, you know, we can simply go back to the time of Jesus and, and, you know, we know that we keep exactly the same day that he kept. All right, so think about this for a moment. To lose a day out of the weekly cycle, here's what has to happen. You have to wake up one day and forget what day it is. Get the wrong day. That's the first step. Yep. Then that has to happen simultaneously with every other person. So on the same day, every other person on the planet who follows the weekly cycle and keeps the Sabbath day. Mm. Right? So that's, that's quite a lot, yep. particularly in the time of Jesus. Global amnesia. Yeah, global amnesia. So first of all, you've got to wake up and forget which day it was. Then that has to be simultaneously happen with everybody else. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing that's got to happen is that no one ever corrects them. So no pagan comes along and says, actually, it's the wrong day. Mm -hmm. No Christian ever figures it out. No Jewish person ever figures it out. No Muslim who worships on Friday ever figures it out. It just happens simultaneously across the whole world. That is logistically impossible. The reality is that there were times when Sabbath keepers were few in number in the history of the Bible. And you might argue that it was logistically possible then. Well, if that was the case, then Jesus would have corrected it when he was here on this earth. I'm quite satisfied to worship on exactly the same day that Jesus set me an example of worshipping on because you can never go wrong following the example of Jesus. You can go wrong doing a lot of things. You can go wrong following the example of all kinds of people, but you will never go wrong following the example of Jesus Christ. Amen to that. Oh, by the way, yes, um, we have calendars. Yeah, we do. We have the Gregorian calendar, which was preceded by the Julian calendar, and these are Roman calendars, and they go back to a period way before, well, quite considerably before Jesus Christ. So we know we've never actually lost the, the weekly cycle. All right. And I just want to take this opportunity to give this another plug. Yes, if, it's excellent. Yes, if anybody's listening right now and you've got questions, you want to do deeper study, you will love tonight's free offer that's connected with our presentation. Simply text the word Sabbath to the number on your screen, 0428 and that will be coming to you. Uh, I'll just check. Yep, yeah, let's see if we've got some more got questions any coming through. Questions, and actually, we have a comment here from uh, Sandra Enterman, who's okay. a viewer here tonight, and she just says, "You better not take a break on Sabbath, Lyle. You got to preach." <laughs> she says, "We'll rest. You work." <laughs> okay, I'm just going to say this about Sandra Enterman yes. is that she runs a Friday evening sing along, and it's pretty simple and it's pretty straightforward. And she literally gets like a thousand people who turn up on her Facebook page to have a Friday evening sing-along. And the reason that she does that is because the Sabbath, according to the Bible, begins at sunset Friday and extends to sunset Saturday. You know what? God thought of everything. Because, you know, as human beings, we change it all around and we're like, yeah, no, we're going to keep our, we're going to keep our day from midnight to midnight. Well, the first problem with that is that you unless you've got a watch, watch <laughs> you're never going to know yeah. when the Sabbath is. And very few people in the world, even today, have a watch, uh, let alone in the past. The second thing is, if God made it that way, you know, if you're honest with yourself, you know what would happen. You'd come to Friday and you'd be busy on Friday because like, oh, well, I'm going to take a day of rest tomorrow, so I better get everything done. And you would be working till midnight to get it all done. 
before the Sabbath began. And then when you know, Sabbath morning comes, you'd be just crashed and wrecked. God says, like, no, once the sun goes down, take a break. Have a nice meal together. Spend some time with your family. Relax. Get a great night's sleep. And then come together and worship the next day. You know, God thought of everything when he gave us this blessing. It's like a, the Sabbath is like a park hmm. in time. Hmm. You know, you think of living and working in a big, busy city. I lived and worked in Sydney for 21 years and was never so glad to, I'm <laughs> going to offend all my Sydney friends right now, but never, was never so glad to get out into a more rural environment. But I valued the parks while I was in Sydney because they were just like this space where you could just, Oh. Unwind. And that's what the Sabbath is, but it's a park in time. You know, God's not stingy. The government gives us a public holiday, what, once or twice a year, maybe a little bit more often here in Australia. Uh, but God gives you one every week. Mm. Amen. All right. I'll, you're starting to sound very convincing now, Lyle. Oh, by the way, yes. um, I was just going to say about Sandra Enderman's um, yes. thing. Ju- just jump on her Facebook and uh, check it out tomorrow evening. Starts about, what, 6.30? 6.30. Starts yeah. at 6.30. And you will just have so much fun with everybody else that jumps on there. All right. I've got one more question here and then we'll get back to our subject. This yes. is from someone who's on YouTube. And this says, Mark 16.1. And Luke 23, 56, were there two Sabbaths between Jesus' death and resurrection because of the Passover festival? This would explain how Jesus was in the tomb for three days and three nights. Okay. Yep. So it's kind of it's a question and a comment. So maybe so, can you explain the three days and three nights? Sure. Let me just go through the three days and the three nights very quickly. Uh, there are a number of different places in the Bible where the Bible says, well, there's one place that says that Jesus would be in the tomb for three days and three nights. Mm-hmm. There are about 10 places that indicate that it would be a little bit less than that. There is one place that would indicate a little bit more than that. And so clearly the Bible is speaking conversationally here um, and not timing it down to the second. So you've got a, you kind of got two choices here. It's either exactly 72 hours, three days and two nights, to the second, anything less than that, even one second less than that, and you have conversational language. Now, if I was to tell you, Sharissa, that I'm going to uh, be doing such and such in three days from now, would you count exactly 72 hours to that point? No. Pretty, I'd just be no, general. You wouldn't. You would be general about it. And that's, what, that's the way the Bible is speaking right here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bible is very clear that Jesus died on the Friday and he rose on the Sunday. Um, and there's, you know, there's, uh, we could look at a multitude of verses on that. Maybe I can come back to that one sure. later on and I can give you a whole bunch of verses on it. Sure, that'd be um, great. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a whole slew of uh, verses. verses on that one. Well, speaking of verses, Lyle... There are some Bible verses which we could say actually disagrees with what you're saying. Oh, really? And I think uh, I'd like to hear Uh what you have to say about it. So the first one is Colossians 2 verse 14. Colossians 2 and verse 14. Why don't you read that one for us? All right. Um, Just the actual uh, standalone verse here. All right. This is what it says. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Oh, there you go. Okay, so let's, let's have a look at this one right here because, you know, we read this passage and the initial reaction is, well, why is Lyle even talking about this issue of the Sabbath? Mm-hmm. It's, it's all been nailed to the cross. Okay, let's look at this in context. 
because this particular passage here has a whole bunch of uh, clarifying words that go along with it. So let me just flick over there very quickly and I'm going to read it from my Bible. Uh, Let me see. Here we go. Colossians chapter 2. It says here, Let no man judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of a new moon or of the Sabbath days. So that's an interesting bit of context. However, you've also got, you know, verse 14. It talks about the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. It's not talking about the Ten Commandments here that were written by the finger of God. It's talking about something that was written by hand. And rather than being commandments, they are ordinances. And then we find that they have this relationship to uh, meat and drink and holy days and new moons and Sabbath days. Well, what could that be? What a lot of people don't realize is that in the Bible, there are actually two different kinds of Sabbaths. There is the seventh day Sabbath that is found in the Ten Commandments, the eternal constitution of the government of God. And then you have, and by the way, the seventh day Sabbath is attached to a day, not a date. It can fall on any day. Yeah. Sorry, on any date. Yes. But then you have within the ceremonial law, and we talked about this last night, the ceremonial law came about as a result of sin. Mm-hmm. It's all about sacrifices. Jesus nailed it to, a, to the cross because the sacrifices ended when Jesus died on Calvary. Right. Okay. Now, the sacrifices involved meat offerings and drink offerings and holy days and new moons and Sabbath days that had nothing to do with the Ten Commandments. Let me give you an example of one. Uh, Leviticus 23, verse 24. In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. Okay, so what day of the week is that? The first day of the month. We don't know the day, but we have the first day. It's like a birthday, isn't it? Yeah. Your birthday is on a different day of the week. But it's the same date. Every year. Yes. Okay, so the ceremonial Sabbaths, and there were seven of them. Mm -hmm. The seven ceremonial Sabbaths were connected to a date, not a day. So they they could fall on any day or would fall on any day because they were connected to a date. This one right here, we'd call it the 1st of July. It wasn't the 1st of July, but it says the 1st of the seventh month. Their months were different from ours, obviously. Mm -hmm. But that's what we would call it today. Okay. Yeah. So that's where those come in. Now... What we have to do here in Colossians chapter 2 is to make sure that our context so far is absolutely correct. So let's look at the passage that Paul is quoting from in Colossians 2 and verse 16 because he's quoting from the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And when we read the passage that Paul is quoting from, we're able then to understand, is this a ceremonial Sabbath or is this the weekly Sabbath? Sabbath of the Ten Commandments. All right, so why don't you read for us uh, Ezekiel 45, verse 17 is the passage he's quoting from. Sure. Then it shall be the prince's part to give burnt offerings, grain offerings, and drink offerings at the feasts, the new moons, the Sabbaths, and at all the appointed seasons of the house of Israel. He shall prepare the sin offering, the grain offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offerings to make atonement for the house of Israel. Okay, so do we do all of those offerings today? We don't. No, and the reason we don't do those offerings today is because they are all a part of the ceremonial law, 
that was nailed to the cross because you have all of those sacrifices right there. And that's what Paul is speaking about right here. And he clinches it in verse 17 when he says, which are a shadow of things to come. You see, all of those sacrifices pointed forward to Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Whereas the Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, for in six days the Lord made heaven, earth, the sea, and the fountains of waters. The seventh day Sabbath points backwards the complete opposite direction. It points backwards to creation. So one pointed forward, one pointed backwards. They were, they were different. So here you've got Sabbath, you know, they're, they're changeable. Um, the Bible says they're against us. It's connected with meat offerings and drink offerings. It's a shadow or a type of something. The seventh day Sabbath, the Ten Commandments are never a shadow or a type of anything. Mm-hmm. But all of the ceremonial law was a shadow, a type of what Jesus did. I find that a very powerful um position to take in this because otherwise the Bible's contradicting itself. Yeah, it wouldn't make any sense at all, right? You'd have this one verse and it's like, why have you got this one verse? You know, the rest of the Bible says this and you've got this one verse right here. That's right. But, you know, maybe if someone was listening, they might think, well, isn't any day good enough? Like, what if I can do my Sabbath on a different day? Yeah, just keep one in seven. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what the uh, the think tank in the UK was kind of promoting was uh, just one day in seven is good enough. So it's a little bit like this. We've got to think about we've got to think about the difference between grace and works right here. Mm-hmm. And I want you to think about Abraham and Sarah and Hagar for a moment. Mm-hmm. So God comes to Abraham and Sarah and promises them a child. And then no child turns up, and Sarah gets way beyond the point of ever being able to give birth to children. And so Abraham decides, well, I'm going to obey God. And I'm going to sort this out myself. I'm going to do something here that will be good enough for God. And so Abraham takes a second wife. Her name is Hagar and she is Sarah's servant girl. So you can imagine how well this goes in the home. This would not be a happy home to live in. But anyway, that's what he does. And Ishmael is born. And God takes this as an example of salvation by grace versus salvation by works. Isaac was the child of promise and he came about when Abraham trusted God and just did what God said without questioning it. Mm -hmm. Ishmael came about when Abraham did not trust God and said, no, what I'm doing is good enough for God. And so often we as Christians, we come to God and we're like, well, you know what? We're just going to do our thing and our thing is just going to be good enough for God. Is that really worship? No. You know, if you're saved by grace... You know, we don't keep the law of God to be saved. We keep the law of God because we are. It's a love response to God. If you really love someone, do you go changing everything about them? You know, if, if you love someone, it's like, well, you know, I'm going to keep your birthday on a completely different day this year. It won't work. No, it doesn't work. That's not, <laughs> that's not a loving response. No. It's just, you know, think about, and, and think about whether God is specific or not. Think about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Did God come to Adam and Eve and say, look, you can eat all the fruit of all the trees in the garden except one? Doesn't really matter which one you choose. Is that what God said? No. He was very no. specific. This one. Don't and he's this one. always specific. In every story of the Bible, he singled out a tree and said, don't touch this one. And then, of course, what did they do? They touched that one. And that's how sin came into our world. Mm. And it wasn't the tree The issue was not the tree. The tree in and of itself and its fruit was not toxic. That's not what killed them. It was the act of disobedience. And people look at the Sabbath and like, 
all days look the same. You know, the sun goes up, the sun goes down. Sometimes it rains and sometimes it doesn't. But what difference does a day make? What difference does a tree make? The issue is obedience because obedience shows where our heart is. The question is, do you love God enough to follow God in the way that he asks or are you going to follow God in the way that, well, you think is good enough for God? Mm. That's salvation by works right there. Really, really true right there. Is there any instance that you could point us to in the Old Testament that would help us to understand this, like how God is so specific on this point? Yeah, there was a bunch of people in the Old Testament who thought that God was not specific. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, specifically on the Sabbath day. And of course, this was uh, quite a while before the Ten Commandments were given on Mount Sinai. And we can read about it uh, in the book of Exodus. And it, uh, why don't you start for us in Exodus chapter 16, verse 14 and 15. Sure. The Bible says, And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. Okay, so this is the story of manna. This is where manna comes in. God gives them the gift of manna. Okay, keep reading in verse 22 and 23. And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is the Sabbath rest, the holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. Okay, so here's how it worked. God would give them manna every day. If they kept it till the next day, it would rot and stink and breed worms. So it was a bad idea. So they didn't keep eating until the next day. Then the Sabbath, the, then Friday comes, which in the Bible is called the preparation day. Friday comes, there's twice as much on the ground, so they collect twice as much. Mm-hmm. And Moses says, keep it till tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But there were a whole bunch of people who were like, you know, it doesn't matter which day. Any day in seven is good enough. This is not an issue. And so what happens? Uh, verse 27 and 28. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? So there's a few people went hungry there that day because they thought, <laughs> well, any day is good enough. You know, they're all days are alike. Nothing's going to change right here. Well, it did change. And God worked 6,240 miracles while they were in the wilderness to remind God, to remind his people which day was the Sabbath day. You know, there's so many instances we could give in the Bible where God is specific. You think about uh, Nadab and Abihu uh, and, and the story of bringing, you know, um, false fire, you know, into the, into the temple. Mm-hmm. The, the chemical composition of fire is exactly the same. But God said, use the fire from the altar. Don't use the fire from your campfire. You've got Naaman the leper. It's a great example right there. God says, go dip seven times in the River Jordan. The River Jordan didn't clean him of his leprosy. Mm -hmm. It was the fact that he obeyed God. If he had dipped six times, he wouldn't have been healed. God is always specific. He's never vague about what he says. His blessing is on the surface. That's right. And and, and the thing is, we, we show our love for God and we recognize him as God when we do this without questioning. See, this is why God placed this particular commandment at the centre of the law. Because all of the other commandments, you know, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't have other gods, you know, don't take my name in vain, all of these have a very 
obvious reason as to why they exist. Mm -hmm. And so they reveal nothing about us because, you know, it makes sense. So then he throws in this neutral commandment. What does the neutral commandment do? It reveals where your heart is. If you really love Jesus, then you do what he says. You don't ask. He gave his life for you. Why would you ask? Mm. But if you don't love Jesus, like, well, I'll do this, but, you know, on, on my conditions, on my terms, according to my convenience. You're saying it's like the ultimate sign of trust in God. He says it, it absolutely. we do it, that kind of thing. That's it. All right, Lyle. That's, gonna... that's true worship. That's worship? True worship does not ask and does not require a reason. True worship obeys because God asking was enough. That is a powerful point. I have a question here from a viewer. Yes. And uh, this is a good question. This is from Lydia. She's watching us on Facebook and she says, I have heard that some Sabbath keepers follow what they call a lunar Sabbath. Their reference points are Genesis 1.14 and Leviticus 23.1-4. Can you please comment? Yes, and so the lunar Sabbath becomes quite complicated and a difficult um, because you've got to follow this whole lunar cycle through mm-hmm. uh, to keep the Sabbath. What you're going to find is this. Jesus did not keep a lunar Sabbath. We have the records of Jesus' Sabbath keeping and Jesus kept the same Sabbath that Jewish people kept in Jerusalem in the first century. And that was a weekly Sabbath. And so if the lunar Sabbath had been a thing, and sometimes, you know, the lunar Sabbath is like eight days apart or whatever, you know, it, it varies. The week, the week varies with the lunar Sabbath. If Jesus, if, if, if the Jews in the time of Jesus in the first century had been keeping the wrong Sabbath, then Jesus would have corrected them. But they weren't. This was one area in which Jesus agreed with them and worshipped on exactly the same day that they did. And that weekly cycle has not been lost from then until now. And so if you follow the example of Jesus, you can never go wrong. Now, what's also interesting is about, you know, while I'm talking about Jesus, Jesus often got into discussion with the Pharisees, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And they loved to, the Pharisees loved to argue with Jesus and Jesus would just simply point out truth. The most common issue that was raised between the Pharisees and Jesus, the issue more than anything else, was all about how to keep the Sabbath. I have noticed that. It was all about how to so keep the true. Sabbath. It was never, ever about whether the Sabbath was done away with or not. It was all about how it should be kept. And Jesus was always explaining, this is how the Sabbath should be kept, not that way. Whereas he could have said, you know, I'm Lord of the Sabbath, I'll do away with it, don't worry about it. No, he didn't say that. He's like, this is how you do it. All right, this is so interesting and our time is running away on us. It is indeed. I just want to share that um, Philip has actually sent in, he's let us know, I received my free offer today. Oh, fantastic. So we're excited for you and just that's a great time for me to plug this. If you want to receive tonight's free offer, it's going to help you with deeper study on tonight's presentation. Text the word Sabbath to the number on your screen, 0428-833-86. Lyle, doesn't the Bible say that Jesus is our Sabbath? Because I know a lot of Christians have said this. It's one of these really, um, it's an interesting one because it's one of these really nice kind of pious, Mm -hmm. kind of sounds nice, Mm -hmm. feels good, gives you a warm fuzzy inside kind of statement. Mm -hmm. It's not in the Bible. Sorry. I hate to disappoint you. You won't find it anywhere in Scripture. All right. Well, what about this one? It's one of those missing verses. We often talk about missing verses here. And it's one of the things that we really like to do on the N.Digital is to highlight some of the missing verses because so often what happens in Christianity is that we repeat things so often 
that they become a part of, uh, you know, a, a, a part of legend or a part of our tradition until we actually think that they're somewhere in the Bible when they're not. True. Now, what about, can I, like, I worship God every day. So isn't that good enough? Like, do I really need to keep the Sabbath? This is a great question. And God commands us to worship God every day. That's, that's what a Christian does. Mm-hmm. However, there is a difference between worshiping God on a day, as we should, and having a day of worship. Isn't that so? If you have a day of worship every day of the week, you don't get to eat. And that kind of ends badly. Why, why don't we get to eat? Because the Bible says, six days shall you labor and do all your work. And the Bible says that if a person doesn't work, they shouldn't eat. Okay. Very good. So you can't have a day of worship every day of the week because God says on the other six days, go out and work. It's good for you. All right. Um, on that note, Lyle, yes. like what, what can we do on the Sabbath? Oh, really great question right there. Okay, so, and a rather large question. Here's some of the things that I like to do on Sabbath. First of all, this is a time when I don't engage in any kind of secular work. I don't, you know, my employment, whatever it might be, um, I can put all of that aside. Not only that, but I close my workshop because I have a man cave and it's amazing and I love spending time in my man cave and uh, just, you know, close that all down and don't stress over all of the projects that are building up out there and all the deadlines and even all of the projects that my wife wants me to get finished. Mm -hmm. Don't stress over those either. I'm having a day off every week, a conscience-free one because God's given it to me. Okay, so then... I'm going to have time, first of all, with God, second with my family, and third with my church community. Did you know that social connectedness is the greatest predictor of good health excuse me, and long life that there is? It is more important than anything else that you can do for your health. Social connectedness. And this is why God gave us this gift. Mm. God understood this as human beings. He's like, I get this. And if you go to Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 23, you're going to find over here. Let me flick over to this one very quickly. Um, Leviticus chapter 23. And we're going to read here in verse 3. The Bible says, Six days shall work be done, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, a holy gathering together. So it's a time to get together. This is a time to spend time in community. Uh, The Bible says in Hebrews, if we go over to Hebrews, because sometimes people come to me like, oh, you know, I'd like to be a Christian, but I don't like to go to church. I'm like, I love church. What's wrong with you? Church is amazing. That's where I have social connectedness. That's where I have community. That's where it all happens. And uh, Paul says this, And, you know, it is possible to be a Christian without going to church. I just haven't met anyone who's pulled it off successfully yet. But Mm -hmm. um, let's see here. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10. And we will go to... Well, it's talking about the return of Jesus Christ. But verse 24, it says, Let us consider one another to provoke each other to love and to good works. Love that right there. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The Bible says the closer we get to the return of Christ, the more important that worshipping God on the Sabbath day will, will become. This is why Jesus said, 
and commanded us, gave us a specific command in Matthew 24, verse 20. Pray at the end of time that when you have to flee, when you have to run for your life, pray that your flight is not in the winter, because that would be cold and miserable, or on the Sabbath day. God commanded us to pray about this so that we could have that social connectedness on the Sabbath day at the end of time, because he knew we would need it. Lyle, there's a lot of people in our world today who are not keeping the Sabbath on Saturday. So yes. like, can you just shed any more light on why? Well, I guess it became one of these traditions that kind of took over and so, so few people actually stop and so question. So there's no Bible text for this? Not a single one. First day of the week is mentioned nine times in the entire Bible. I'd be happy to share every single one of them with you in question time tomorrow night. If somebody wants to put that through as a question, it'll take a little bit of time, but we can go through them all. Mm. And every single time that you find a reference to the first day of the week, it is referencing the seventh day as the Sabbath. Every single time. There is not a single verse. In fact, I'm going to read this. Um, this was a lecture uh, delivered by a man by the name of T. Enright, back in 1893. He says this, There is but one church on the face of the earth which has the power or claims the power to make laws binding on the conscience, binding before God, binding under penalty of hellfire. For instance, the institution of Sunday. What right has any other church to keep this day? You answer by virtue of the commandment which says, remember that you keep holy the Sabbath day. But Sunday is not the Sabbath. Any schoolboy knows that Sunday is the first day of the week. I've repeatedly offered $1,000 to anyone who will prove by the Bible and the Bible alone that Sunday is the day we are bound to keep and no one has called for the money. It was the Holy Catholic Church that changed the day of rest from Saturday to Sunday, the first day of the week. Well, inflation's gone a bit up a little bit <laughs> since 1893. So we'll up the value tonight to $100,000 wow. for a verse that says we should worship on the first day of the week. Oh, wow. Well, that's the challenge right there for all of our listeners and our audience. And Lyle, time is almost out. We've literally... Two got... verses real fast. Give them to me. Okay, I'll, I'll do them. Okay. <laughs> Matthew chapter 5, verse eight, 15, verse 8 and 9. This people draw near me with their mouth and honour me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they worship me, teaching the doctrines, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. We have a simple choice, the commandments of God or the commandments of men. Which one do you want to keep? Finally, Jesus says in John chapter 14 and verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so my appeal to you this evening is very simple. Do you love Jesus enough to keep his commandments in the way that he asked you to keep his commandments? That's a simple question that you can answer between you and God as you take this subject to God in prayer. Amen. Well, tonight's presentation has been very interesting and compelling. And if you'd like to have more information, remember to obtain your free copy of tonight's offer by simply texting the word Sabbath to the number on your screen, 0428-833-86. We're back tomorrow night for our final presentation in this series called Surviving the End. We're looking forward to that tomorrow night. And until then, may God bless you and we will see you then. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.com.
www.audioverse.org.